2: in a home game that was billed as many as a must-not-lose. This is the Known and Ever podcast. Hello, welcome back. Listeners, normal service is resumed. I am back. Did you miss me? I'm pretty sure you did. Listeners, for those of you who don't follow me on social media, I have been absent from the Known and Never podcast for a couple of weeks. The guys very happily gave me a couple of weeks leave so I could go swan off and sun myself in the beaches of the Bahamas while you guys grounded away at the cold, wet, windy Burnley to try and get us through this difficult patch. But I have returned. Um, A quick note from me, just to say thank you to producer Matt for jumping in and really helping us out while I was away on leave. We had kind of debated having to miss the podcast with the new team and and obviously been a little bit depleted in terms of personnel this season. But Matt really stepped up and and really helped us out, and and Robbie and Dave as well both you know pitched in and got us the episodes out for the last couple of weeks. So thanks to the team, this is definitely a team effort, and I'm I'm really grateful for the boys that we have around us at Known and Ever to try and get out the podcasts every week. So let's get back to normal. And this week, we have a slight change in personnel in that Robbie's not with us this week now. I tell you, we are not got a full lineup for ages. We're going to be like, going to be like die tinkering around with our injuries in the podcast. But we are joined by resident statistician and my absolute fave, Dave Roberts. Dave, good evening and welcome back to the show.
3: Good evening, Natalie. Thank you very much.
2: You're Welcome. Right. let's. We've got lots to talk about this week, actually. I feel a little fresh, listeners. I feel like we've got some renewed enthusiasm and we're going to plough through last night's results and we've got a couple of things to talk about as well. So we're going to start by looking at last night's loss at home to Newcastle, which I'm sure we're all incredibly disappointed about. But we're going to going to go through it and we're going to dissect what went wrong and we're going to have a look to the future and how we can put this right. Um, we've got a couple of things to talk about off the pitch as well, certainly with the new technical director who is joining us this Saturday at Turf Moor and a small matter of a payment to a certain uh, Premier League official who will be stepping down at the end of this season, which has got everybody a little bit riled. Um, so let's move on and let's start with the game and, and let's get straight into it. Now, as a slight change in format, producer Matt this week asked Robbie and I to have a go at recording a little feature for you all, which was our immediate post-match reaction which as you can imagine was met with some cynicism by me and Robbie because both of us are quite emotional when it comes to Burnley and when you've just come off a result like that and you're literally right outside Turf Moor in the freezing cold and Matt saying record your immediate reaction we were a little worried that um it wasn't going to be particularly constructive but we persisted and we did it and here is the result (laughs) So, Natalie and Robbie are outside of Turf Moor. We have just finished Burnley against Newcastle and producer Matt has asked us to give our initial match reaction and we are both cold and deflated. But Robbie has just told me that that's the most entertaining game of football he's have seen in ages. Robbie, explain yourself.
1: Well, I witnessed Ashley Barnes take a corner in <laughs> injury time. I then witnessed uh, Joe Hart play central midfield and pull all the strings. Uh, he, he was better than Jack. I bet his pass completion rate are better than Jack Hawks tonight. I think it was as I, well.
2: I think it was as well. Um, I mean, I just, I feel like I've got to laugh otherwise I'm going to yeah, cry. That's my initial that's thing coming right, yeah. out there. I don't know whether it's just complete, pe- like, terrified things of the result or the fact that we're in a really precarious position or the fact that we just can't score or just the comedy nature of that first mm. goal. I don't know what it is, but, ah, Robbie, it's a result though, isn't it? Um,
1: yeah. I, to be fair, I thought, the re- after we went 1-0 down, I thought the response was actually really good. Yeah, I, I, thought we, I thought we, I thought we passed the move with a bit of tempo, we got it out wide, and then we conceded another sloppy goal. And yeah. then at 2-0, I thought we were a bit deflated after that. Um,
2: yeah, I think going forward, we did all right, didn't we? It was just yeah. like, defensively, we just don't look at Yeah, I said to the
1: guys around me, I thought, on the ball, I thought we were actually quite good. We were just yeah, off it too. where we just didn't press as a unit and we no, looked a bit lost. And then, yeah, the second goal is just a killer for us. And yeah, really like, but we, no, we, we did get it back. I think... That come from nothing yeah, as well Yeah
2: exactly I think getting that first goal back Before half time probably does the world of good yeah. Although I do worry That it maybe meant That we didn't make the changes Which we probably should have made At half time
1: yeah, it's, I noticed there were no, like, warming up until, like, no, exactly. no, that was, I agree. was That was weird. really strange. Like, um, have you heard of this Vidra fella? Who's this I vidra? don't know. What is a Vidra. <laughs> I don't know. I've heard it's
2: an endangered species. <laughs> I don't know what it is, but anyway. But that's it. That is immediate match reaction from Natalie and Robert. We are freezing cold. We are going to go home and sulk for a bit, and then we're going to record a proper podcast tomorrow, so we'll see you in a bit. So, yeah, so there you go, Dave. That was, uh, that was... <laughs> robbie in my immediate reaction i kind of love the fact dave that that our voices are all really croaky and harsh because we've always been shouting in the, in the cold for two hours just to add on to the back of that obviously i think robbie was a little bit delirious with enthusiasm i was just laughing my head off because i didn't know what else to do but if you can try and put yourself back into the mind frame of immediately coming off the turf last night what were your immediate reactions to that game
3: i'm not sure i want to to be honest <laughs> but yeah, as as I'm here on the podcast, I better had, had not I? I was really disappointed that we gave Newcastle such a head start. You know, giving any team a, a, a two goal start as we did, but, you know, scoring the uh, first and the second goals and being two goals behind in the game, that was going to be um, an uphill battle from uh, from then on. I think after that, Burnley got back into the game. I mean, the the the, the goal, fantastic goal from uh, from Sam Vokes don't see many strikers scoring headers from that distance out. Um, so that kind of got us back into the game a little bit. But yeah, just overall really, the disappointment that we'd um, let ourselves down, given Newcastle two goals early on and uh, just made it really difficult for ourselves.
2: Yeah, I think that was probably my biggest disappointment as well, David. It- it was such a key battle and it was one that I didn't, ex- well, I didn't expect it to be a particularly entertaining game just because of the importance of the game. You know, Newcastle have uh, just won, what, three back-to-back results. So they've really given themselves a fighting chance in this league now, whereas we're kind of on the back foot and, and, and really trying to drink, dig ourselves out of a hole we've put ourselves in at the moment. So to make it as easy as we did for them was a little disappointing for me. Now, let, let's start with that because... The first goal was a, It's always horrendous to to score such an, an early goal, but to be fair, it was a pretty unlucky goal to concede, don't you think?
3: Uh, yeah, it was totally a fluky goal. Took a deflection, and uh, you know, there's nothing that Joe Hart could have uh, could could have done about that one, and just one of those things. But a real killer early on, you know, fourth minute, really early in the game, and uh, it's really difficult when you uh, you go out there with a the mindset to you know try and build on that clean sheet we got at Leicester and then to concede so early on was uh, was disappointing.
2: Do you think there was anything that the defence could have done differently? I mean, when I looked at it in real time, I was I, I kind of had this feeling in the back of my mind that we were a little lethargic in trying to get to the ball and we maybe weren't as sharp to close down on the edge of the box to give them the chance to have the shoot in the first place. But I don't know if I'm being a little bit unfair there.
3: Uh, yeah, possibly. I mean, I've not had a chance to watch the full highlights through. Again, the, the club, I don't think I've posted them on the website. They put the... Um, the match day compilation on there, the sort of uh, arty one that they do, which uh, kind of shows it from a, a different angle. But yeah, it's it's one of those things, isn't it? It's uh, I think it it is just one of those things. It's taking a deflection, and you know you've got to put that down to experience. But I think the the, the killer really was the second goal. I think the uh, to to concede the second goal, go two goals down after that uh, first goal so early on. That was um, you know, always gonna be a really, really difficult task for Burma.
2: Yeah. I do think we defended quite poorly for that second goal. That was a really disappointing goal to concede. It just it just felt like nobody was taking responsibility for clearing that ball. And as reliable as Ben Mee has been for ever, you, we just didn 't see the Ben me that we used to see who will literally throw his head in front of a boot to stop a ball from going in, even he was a little oh, i don 't know if I can even be asked with this Do you know it was it was just one of those weird moments where nobody seemed to take responsibility
3: yeah it was it was uh, they were sloppy i think i think the um it was alluded to in the post match uh, interviews as well and um you know it 's one of those things we have to try and cut out when you know when there are such fine margins in the game as we keep being told, then um, for something like that to happen is going to be, uh, you know, really difficult to to turn around. You know, a two 0 lead for any team is um, a really dominant position to be in. I mean, we we got ourselves back into the game. You know, Newcastle had the chance in the second half. I mean, I don't know how they didn't score another one. They had, uh, you know, a, a, a sitter in front of goal, um, one that came uh, clean back off the post as well. Um, and, you know, a possible um, open goal later on when Burnley were going for that equaliser. But uh, I think Sean Dyche came out in his post-match interview and said, you know, maybe Burnley were a little bit unlucky and could have got a point out of it. I think that's being a little bit generous. Um, I think when you look at the balance of play, yes, you know, you, you look at the, the, the stats, and the stats suggest that maybe it was close that it actually was. But I think when you actually watch the game, sometimes the stats you hear this win from me, the stats don't tell the entire story. And I think on the balance of the game, I think most neutrals would say that Newcastle probably did deserve to win it.
2: Oh, God, absolutely. Yeah. When I heard Deitch at the end of the game, the, uh, well, it was a funny one, really, because I was fully expecting him to come out on the PR offensive and he, he said exactly what I expected him to say. And whilst I absolutely 100% never expect him to come out and criticise his players, and I would in fact be very disappointed if he did, to hear him come out and say it was a fine margin and we deserved something out of the game, and he's kind of scratching his head to find out how we didn't get something. I'm a bit on. Oh. Sean, really, you know, like you can you can dress it up in a better way without making yourself sound like you've lost the plot a little bit. I think that worries fans because not all fans can see that in a common sense light and realise that Deitch has got to be the front man and he's got to portray positivity, he's got to protect the club's brand, he's got to protect his players and I 100% support him on that, no question. But not every fan sees that and, you know, that just intensifies And the, I guess, frustration that fans are feeling at the moment and a feeling that everything's not quite right. I've got to say, actually, when you were saying there about 2-0 being a dominant position for most teams to be in, I'm not sure I agree with that. I think 2-0 is a very vulnerable scoreline in the Premier League. But I wonder whether we're seeing some of our Premier League naivety creeping back in that we had maybe two or three years ago and see, with, that I thought we'd completely eradicated last year. It seems to me whenever we're 2-0 up, I'm never fully convinced that we're going to win the game because 2-0 results get overturned all the time in the Premier League and it's we've had it ourselves where we've been 2-0 up and lost a game 3-2. But it feels completely the opposite way around when we're 2-0 down and I just don't ever have any confidence that we're going to come back from it apart from the odd exception. And last night for all of the, well, I guess, Chris Borden said it, for all of the huffing and puffing. I'm not even sure we had that much huffing and puffing, to be honest. But for all of the intensity and the desire in the closing minutes of both halves, I never really felt we were going to turn that around. That said, Dave, I thought our reaction in the closing minutes, closing, say, five to seven minutes of the second half, I thought we were really excellent.
3: Yeah, I mean, it was um, it was a bit hair and scareum at times, wasn't it, with... Um... <laughs> I'd like to see uh, Joe Hart's average position in the last uh, five minutes because he was playing sort of uh, sweeper, central <laughs> midfield, um, going up to be uh striker at one point. It was uh, it was interesting to say the least. But yeah, I mean, can't say that we didn't give it give it all in the last uh, last few minutes. But you know, was was it a little bit too little too late? We obviously we only made two substitutions. Both of those came on the 82nd minute. We had um, Ashley Barnes and uh, Jeff Hendrick. Coming on, and you know, didn't give them too long to have an impact on the game.
2: Yeah, there's a couple of points there that you just picked up on that I want to um, turn back to our listeners because we had a few tweets in that we picked up from social media along those same lines, which really made me laugh. And I think Ben Kilbride really summed this up for me when he was talking about that last five minutes. And he just he tweeted initially like Barnes on a last minute corner. I and I'm going to bleep this word. Give up. And then literally, he must, he must have been stewing over it because maybe an hour or so later, he would just tweet and said, I'm still not over this. That last five minutes or so was embarrassing. It was amateur hour. And it did feel like that. It felt like absolute desperation to me, Dave. I don't know whether or not you found any humour in that last five minutes or whether you were just absolutely appalled.
3: Uh, I think it was a little bit with um, Joe Hart's play. I guess that was, I mean, came across, didn't it, in uh, Robbie's piece that he did with you uh, after the game. But I mean, it's... Yeah, if you didn't laugh about it, you'd probably cry. It's one of those things where, yeah, it 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 we we went for it. Sam Vokes had that chance right at the end. You know, the header, last the uh, last touch of the game, wasn't it? In the end, so the referee's whistle went straight after us, but just couldn't keep uh, keep his header down. You know, you know, Birmingham might have got an equaliser at the end, might have got a point out of it, and we might have been talking a little bit differently now. But yeah, you know, I think on the balance of play, the two um, one result to Newcastle um, was probably a fair reflection of the game. And I think Sean Dyche thought otherwise. He thought that uh, maybe we could have got a point out of it. I think that's probably spinning it a little bit too much. I think uh, most Burnley fans would um, perhaps differ with the, uh, the manager on that one.
2: Yeah, I think that's probably right. Again, one of the second points you, you said in your summary then, um, Dave, we were talking about the substitutions which you picked up on. Um, Chris Horner was one of the fans to tweet, and he said that, you know, we were 2-0 down at home and it takes 80 minutes into the game to make a substitution. Now, what's the point in spending a wedge of money on players like Vidra and then let them sit on the bench for the whole of the game? Playing Wood and together is illogical to me. Now, there are a few things in that tweet that I want to pick up on because these are some of the notes that I made from the game last night. Three points. Number one, substitutions and why it did take him so long. And in the end, he just kind of went like for like. Um, I didn't really think we had much impact with our subs. Uh, Number two, the. Vidra situation, and then number three, the strikers generally. So let's start with the substitution piece, shall we? I thought that I thought he left the substitutions way too late last night, even for Dyche. We do know he's not a fan of, of quick substitutions.
3: Yeah, I think maybe introducing Hendrik with hindsight, you know, having Hendrik on uh, on earlier might have given us more penetration. I mean, throughout the game, I thought we were we we didn't get much penetration down the wings. We obviously had Robbie Brady playing. Yeah, Yo Johan Berg-Ummersen was, uh, uh, was ill, he couldn't play. Robbie Brady started the game and we had um, Aaron Lennon. I think Aaron Lennon played quite a deep role. Robbie Brady didn't really make too many inroads. I thought perhaps we should have tried to get more uh, along the wings with those two players and I don't think either of them were, were able to do that. I mean, Aaron Lennon, don't get me wrong, he put a real shift in and there were times when he was um, doing a lot of defensive work but we didn't see too much, um, or as much as we would have liked to have seen from him going forward. Um I think that perhaps led us down a little bit. We weren't getting enough service in from the uh, uh, from the two wingers. That's um, you know, I think I think we we did miss JBG last night. I think uh, him his absence was uh, was definitely seen in terms of the substitutions. Yet yeah, I think you know perhaps we should have had gone for it a little bit sooner. We we, we did go for it, you know the last eight minutes and particularly. The last two or three minutes, you know, Burnley were were throwing everything at it. You know, almost got caught and uh, conceded another one as a result. But um, yeah, should we have perhaps given that a more concerted effort from, you know, seventy seventy five minutes? You know, that that's perhaps something we should have uh, should have looked at. it's one of those things. It's 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 gone now. The difficulty is we've got you know games come, got some really tough games coming up. You know, they're all tough in the Premier League, but. I guess you're looking at Crystal Palace and uh, the Brighton game as the two that are perhaps the most likely to get points out of. Apart from that, we're playing top six sides, aren't we? Um, in and around the uh, lead up to Christmas.
2: Yeah, we've got a really horrific run of games coming up at the moment. I think that's one of the reasons why most fans were really hoping for three points last night. Certainly, I think not a loss. Anything. I think even a draw might have been a little worrying. But a, a draw was an awful. Uh, sorry, a loss was an awful result. Um, the, the Lennon situation that you picked up on there, Dave, was really weird. He was practically playing right back for vast majorities of that game, and a lot of the times I was looking out there when we were 2-1 down and we were playing almost Matt Lowton and, and Kevin Long and Ben Me in the middle with, with Taylor and, and Aaron Lennon at, at fullbacks. And it was just, it was bizarre to see that just the defensive setup that we had, even when we were 2-1 down and we were trying to chase the game at home, a game that we shouldn't really, well, we really couldn't lose. It was, was very odd. So because of that, because the game was so defensive, which you know is, is no great surprise for Sean Dyche's side, We do have to discuss this striker situation, and I think this is one of the ones that that Chris picked up on in his tweet. Now, listeners will know that I'm really not a fan of when we... Of lumping two of our big guys up front whenever we choose to play 4-4-2. Any combination for me of Wood, Barnes and Volks playing together up front just does not work. They're too similar. They have to try and get the ball, pick a ball up from a, from a hoof ball over the top um, and then when they get that they've got nobody to lay it onto and they're usually about 40 yards away from goal when they do do that anyway and I'm really not a fan. I think we need one holding player and a, um, a classic number 10 to be able to actually put it in in the net Chris Wood is not fulfilling that role at the moment for whatever reason that will be and his confidence looks like it's completely vanished but oh look if only Dave we hadn't have gone into the transfer window in the summer and actually paid £15 million for one of the championships leading goalscorer last season and a classic number 10 except we did but he can't get on the pitch Dave what is a Vidra
3: uh, a mythical creature.
2: Yes, quite.
3: <laughs> it, it, it does seem an odd one. I mean, you know, again, caveats on this. We don't see what goes on on the uh, the training ground. You know, it, it, is it a is it a tactical thing? Is it a a fitness thing? We've seen before players have come in, and you know, the, there's a, a, a thinking that you know they're, they're not fully match fit or or fit. I don't know. I don't know. you know it's it's. <laughs> It, it is it is puzzling for, for for some of us to, or for many of us, I think, to uh, to see that and have a player who you know has been presumably brought in for that role. I and mean, we've we've seen Jeff Hendrick try to play that role and, and and struggle a little bit, and he's he's kind of had to you know, try and adapt to that role with with difficulty, and you know, that's that's been conceded by the manager at times that is he's, he's, he's you know he's trying to to do that with Jeff Hendrick, but. With uh, Mati Vidra, you've got a player coming in who supposedly is that player. He's you know that that's the way he plays, and you know it's it's we've not had that chance, not had that chance to to see that too much. You know we've we've seen him once twice. He obviously uh, scored, didn't he, uh, on his um, on his Burnley debut at, at Turf Moor as well, coming on as uh, as a substitute in the um, in the Europa League match. But we've not seen as much of him as we might have expected to see at this point in the season. So whether it's whether it's a fitness thing, I don't know. But it appears from uh, a, a layman in the stands that you know, that's what should be happening, and we're we're not seeing it. So you know, do do we need some clarification on that? Yeah, you know, I don't know. That might be might might thing to think about. I mean, we're not there to ask questions in the. Um, the, the pre-match press conferences, perhaps that might them that that um, Chris Bowden or some of the other guys from the uh, the press might pick up on in uh, the next pre-match, which is going to be, uh, I think they do them Thursday for the Saturday game, so it's only a, a, a day or two away.
2: Yeah, well, I, I certainly think that I want the questions answered. <laughs> and if, if people don't start asking those questions, I might have to fight my way in. Do you think I'll get a lifetime ban if I fight my way into the press room and pretend that I'm some kind of press? Do you think, do you think none and never editor gets me in? I think it should. I might just body in. Well, actually, interesting, we've got Chris Borden coming on the podcast in the next few weeks to be our panellist for the game, which I'm really excited about because I think we can grill him um, on matters such as this. And I, obviously, we've got to be very aware that um, Chris will be privy to information that's not necessarily for public view and also he will be uh, mindful of his position and his relationship with the club so i'm not expecting a complete you know jeremy kyle short tell but i certainly think chris is one of the better journalists for pressing the club and asking the difficult questions in the right context and and you know mindful of his relationships with the club so we will certainly ask those questions the final point just before we start moving on to to I guess wider things. Chris Wood's confidence has vanished with that reset button. I don't know where it is, but somewhere in the world, somebody is hiding our reset button and Chris Wood's confidence, and we need to go on a treasure hunt to find them and bring them back. Because Dave, he looks an absolute shadow of the player that showed so much promise last season, doesn't he?
3: Yeah, I mean when he came in, he was uh, scoring goals for fun, and uh, there was you know a, a real confidence in the side, and he had confidence in his play, and he you know he was scoring you know almost every other game, wasn't he for us? You know, had a once or twice where he was out with injuries last season as well. But you thought this season he's back in and is is going to be back to those levels. And he hasn't, you know, hit well. He hasn't hit those heights anywhere near yet. Um, We need to see Chris Wood coming back and um, you know doing what we know he's capable of. You know, we've got striking options at the club now. You know, compared to going back a few seasons, I think the the criticism was with. You know, the first couple of seasons we had in the Premier League that we didn't have the depth of squad. We do have more options in, in all positions now, and, and up, that includes up front as well. But you know, goal scoring is is one of the areas where we are struggling. I mean, it's interesting. I don't think our goal score is that much different to last season. But the fact that we've conceded 27 in the Premier League that's obviously been the flip side of it and uh you know you you, you can get by scoring uh, maybe a goal a game if you are keeping clean sheets every other game you can't if you're uh, shipping you know two goals a game on average which, which is what we're doing at the moment
2: yeah good point dave i think that's obviously what's going on at the moment is that our defence just looks an absolute shadow. In fact, I hear that from so many fans from other clubs. It's one of the first questions that they ask me. They just say, what on earth has happened to your defence? And believe me, listeners, we're scratching our heads as well. We're not sure what's going on. Actually, interestingly, talking about defence, we there was um, a slightly niggly reaction uh, between Ben, me and the fans, which I'm not going to draw a massive issue with, just because Ben Mee is a much-loved player of our club. He's our deputy captain when Tom Heaton's not around. And he has fought for this club. And in some respects, I can kind of understand where he was coming from. But there was a slight altercation with him and the fans at the end in that as the final whistle went, and obviously we were trying to score at the cricket at the. be all end we were at, well, yeah we weren't at with the Be all End. A selection of fans in the lower tier did hurl a little bit of abuse at the players' ways and there was some booing from that section and Ben Mee sort of snapped um, in, a, in a very mild sense and turned to those fans and gesticulated at them and did tell them to Expletive, expletive, which um, he has come out on Instagram and apologised for today. Benmi doesn't have Twitter, so you won't have seen it on Twitter, but on his Instagram page, he said, I'm massively gutted about tonight's result. Just wanted to apologise for my reaction to a few fans stood next to me at the final whistle. Pure frustration on my part, UTC. So I'm going to mention it just because it was an event that happened after the game, but we're not going to dwell on it. We're not going to talk about it. I would much rather our players um, get frustrated by a result than not actually care. So Ben me, if you're listening, which obviously you are, stick with it, lad. We'll get through this together. And you've said your piece. Let's move on and let's disappear. So with that in mind, we're going to move on as well. And the best way that we could sort of look at you'll, you'll see the title of this week's podcast is somebody's broken the reset button, essentially. And we are clearly struggling this season. Things are not going well. There's rumours on and off the pitch that so there's, there's rumours off the pitch that there's problems on the pitch and off the pitch in the dressing room. That somehow Dyche has lost the dressing room. That somehow there's some unrest. There's players fighting. There's a ridiculous rumour going around that. Uh, Tarkovsky got hit by Deitch which is quite frankly the most ludicrous piece of gossip I've ever heard in my life and it's clearly not right but there's all sorts and there's a lot of tittle tattle going around and I think I give those examples as just the blatant panic nature that's going around but last night one of our listeners Becca Stubbs um tweeted a really good summary actually that I um want to use as a basis for a wider discussion as to what is going wrong this season. And there were five points to her note. And I'm gonna read them out in in order actually and we'll talk through them as we're going along. Um, so Dave, if you can get your thinking cap on and we are going to discuss these. So point number one from Becca Stubbs. The eleven that got us into the Europa League didn't get a chance to play in a competition they'll probably never get the chance to play in again. Why would they now fight for the rewards if they don't get a chance to reap them? Now, this is something that a few people have raised, Dave. And this potential rationale for a loss of mental spirit and that loss of togetherness that we felt we had last season can perhaps be blamed on... Um, some managerial decisions from Dyche and perhaps broken that bond between them. Thoughts, Dave?
3: I'm not sure I go along with that. I mean, looking at last season as a whole, Burnley finished seventh. Fantastic season, yeah, beyond our wildest dreams. And obviously the European campaign, but we've got to be realists about it. I think the we don't have you know the 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 biggest, the strongest squad to deal with a European campaign and a Premier League campaign. So we had to utilise the squad, and I was all for that. I think I, 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 we talk about individuals, but I think generally speaking, I, I, I go along with that. I think what you have to do is, is kind of roll that back a little bit and look at. Burnley had a really good start to last season. You know, leading up to you know the probably the Stoke game, we, we went fourth in the table. Beyond that, we had. Um, a uh, a poor run, didn't we, in the early part of 2018? Uh, we went 10 or 11 games, I think it was, without um, a victory. We had quite a few draws in there, but couldn't get a win. We then had five consecutive wins, and then we had another run right at the end of the season where again we didn't get another another victory. So it was kind of a a little bit up and down in that second half of the season. But we did enough to get a you know get us over the line, get us to that seventh seventh place. But we have to be realistic about it. We're not going to be a side that are going to be, you know, pushing seventh, fifth, uh, sixth, fifth, fourth every season, all season. It's we we, we work remarkably hard. We had um, some fantastic results in the first half of the season. We did enough in the second half of the season to continue that momentum. But Burnley are a side who are, you know, we, we we're not guaranteed anything in this division. You look at the the, the so called big six. And you know, you know we even see some of them struggling. We had um, you know Chelsea a couple of seasons back. We've got Manchester United, probably to a lesser extent this season, struggling as well. So there's there's no there's no givens in the division. So we have to be realistic about it. I think we've got to we've got to think you know where have we come from, and not get you know not get too big for our boots to some extent. So I think we, we're perhaps looking too deep into it to say well you know th- this has happened and you know X Y and Z. Whereas in reality it's Perhaps reverting back to the mean a little bit and we have to realize that you know we, we, we aren't you know we, we don't have the entitlement to to be a um, a top six seven side in the division we've got to work hard week in week out for every single result for every game and it's you know it's difficult the way it's gone at the start of this season and you know things haven't looked haven't looked right. There's been times where haven't, things haven't looked right. But I think we've got to have confidence in the players. We know what they're capable of. We've got to have confidence in the player and the players and the manager to um, to turn things around. Really,
2: what a great answer! I literally have nothing to add to that. You absolutely nailed that one. So, point number two. Then let's move on. This is oh, Becca. You make some amazing points in this one, um, and I don't think she's necessarily saying that this is the case, but she's offering it as a suggestion. But I've got to say, listeners, I'm getting a little tired with the just the the wide number of reasons to blame Joe Hart for everything that's going on in this club. It seems every week he doesn't come out and catch the ball. He punches a ball too much. He doesn't command his area. He doesn't shout at the players. He's upset the club captain. He's blah 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 blah. Last night he was taking trying to come up for corners, and it's embarrassing. And I'm just anyway. Um, but point number two is. Bringing in Joe Hart could have upset the club captain and could have changed the dressing room harmony for the worse. So, this is a slightly different point, and there's obviously an underlying bubbling problem going on with Tom Heaton in that if rumours are to be believed there's there's clearly been some kind of bust up between him and, and the management at the side and he's clearly very unhappy at being left out of the side. People fully expect Nick Pope to come back into the first team when he returns to fitness very shortly, um, leaving Joe Hart as, as number two and probably Tom Heaton leaving in January. We had another tweet to um, back this up, who was, if you just bear with me a second, um, Dan in Prague, who's a regular listener to, of the show. Hello, Dan. Um, no, no, never. He says, I can't help but feel that Hart has been a disruptive factor in the dressing room and we need to move him on in January. So Dan goes even further than Becker and says that actually Joe Hart needs to go on. We need to go back to having Pope and Heaton. Let's leave aside the what can we blame Joe Hart for this week, Dave. I'm gonna leave in fact I'm not even gonna concentrate on this being a Joe Hart problem. Let's widen this to the overall feel of the club. Because for, for whoever's responsible and whatever's caused it, this team does not feel as together as it did. And it doesn't seem to be the same um relationship with Deitch and the players. Do you think we have got a harmony problem.
3: I think there's maybe more of a confidence problem. I think the one one thing, uh, you know, with with hindsight, looking back over last season, having a really good start to the season gives you a different perspective. I think the fact that where we were in the table takes the pressure off. Players can play differently. Whereas if you are at the other end of the table and you're struggling for results like we are this season. You play differently. I think you have have a different outlook on on the game. So I don't know whether that's a factor in it. You know, have, having a really good start was a, a really good bonus for us last season. Um, you know, and we were never, you know, probably even from October November, we weren't really worried about where we we're going to be. And you, you're looking up, always looking up rather than looking down. Whereas now the difficulties have had the start of the season for whatever reason. And you know, the, you know fairness to, to the manager, they, they can be. Fine margins within the division. I think we've we've been below that. I don't think it's it's been just that. I think there's been you know other other difficulties as well. But um, I think it's a confidence division. Some, sometimes at other clubs, the change of managers done it. I mean, I've, I'm not for one second suggesting that's the case at Burnley because I don't think there's anyone I'd rather have at the football club getting us out with this. So, you know, you you do see and hear people suggesting that you know. Yeah, um, Sean Dyche is the issue and we're going to get rid of Sean Dyche. But, um, you know, look, yeah, the, the, with what the guy's done, what the guy's capable of, he's he's there for the long term at, at Burnley Football Club and he's he's going to get us out of that, um, out of this situation this season. Um, but other clubs, you know, I can fully see why um, they've changed the manager. I mean, our next opponent's Crystal Palace. You look at the start they had the last season. They had, um, I think it was seven defeats in the first seven games, hadn't even scored a goal. They turned it around, and uh, I think they finished eleventh in the end, didn't they? In the uh, in the division last season, so we're well well clear of it in the end. So it it can be a confidence thing, and it, it is really difficult that for for them in that position to turn things around was you know, mi- miraculous. We're nowhere nowhere near that. I think there's um, that there are several teams who I think were more than capable of finishing above this season. We're going to have to. Beat some of them later on in the season, the games we play against them. But you know, the manager we've got is the right man to get us out of it. Um, we just need to have confidence in the team and, uh, and and push on because those results are going to come.
2: I think my biggest concern with with the results is the fixtures. Now, in the Premier League, I tend to look for the last ten fixtures first on on fixture release day because when you are outside the top seven and you are expecting to be not necessarily a direct relegation scrap but you know on the wrong side of the top half even those finishing 13th 14th will be looking over their shoulder if you have a bad run of 10 games then you better make sure you've got the points on the board by March um, and it just concerns me that we've got a really really tough last run last running of 10 games if we not get these points on the board soon and pull ourselves away from relegation we could be in Serious trouble way before people realize we are because we need to we need to get these points on the board by March one hundred percent. Now, one of the ways that you can get points on the board and actually win games, Dave, is investment. Now, point number three that Becca says on her summary was our lack of investment is embarrassing. We had an extra competition, and even without that, it was obvious we needed depth. Now, this is a ongoing complaint that Burnley fans have got, especially with the board. The board seemed to be taking the whole brunt of it, but I would offer the. I guess reality that Sean Dyche isn't completely blameless in that transfer window he has vetoed certain signings where he felt that the players weren't worth it or the market was massively inflated Um, and we're going to come on to to talk about the new technical director and his role with that certainly um, later on in the podcast but a few tweets that we saw last night did um, I guess uh, reiterate this view I think Chris Borden and Patrick Walton had an exchange of tweets on on the show where they were talking about us being the poorest team in the league and Chris Borden was saying the problem that we've got at the moment is we've got no options to replace wide players unless you put McNeil on the bench but then but obviously he knows that Vidra's absence is a puzzler and Pat Walton just turned around and said well if only there was some kind of transfer window and a 100 million pounds of cash above and beyond what we generate naturally that that obviously would have helped so a little bit tongue-in-cheek but obviously we do get the point um one good point, actually, that Chris Horner said that I want you to pick up on, Dave. The board get criticism often correctly, but they sanction a big money signing like Vidra and he doesn't even see a minute and plays on the bench. They must be thinking, why bother? Now, David Whitney is is maybe not as polite with that. And he just basically says that um, we had the staggering levels of complacency in the summer transfer market led us to this problem. So we've got two comp- conflicting views there. We've got the view that the responsibility is squarely on the on the board's shoulders and our lack of investment in the summer has, has basically caused this. Um, on an opposing view, of, well, what's the point in spending money when Dyche is making some bizarre tactical decisions when it comes to players and leaving players like Vidra, who has got the pace and the creativity we are desperate for, and leaving them on the bench? Which side of the argument do you fall down on, Dave?
3: I, I think that there's, there's a certain merit in both of those uh, arguments in that it, it can be difficult in the transfer market. We are sort of building our levels up and I think there's always, I think, a little bit of reticence from, from the point of view of you know, the, the vast sums of money that are involved because you know, we don't have you know, a, a, a foreign multi-millionaire pumping millions into the club. We have fairly um, <laughs> rich, in, in, in layman's uh, comparison, uh, in terms of the, the, the guys who, who are Burnley fans who are in charge of the club. We don't have someone who's a you know a foreign multi-billionaire like many of the the Premier League teams now have. You know, you know Manchester City or or, or or Liverpool or or Arsenal could you know quite easily spend you know hundred million pounds in a blink of an eye. Whereas that's never going to happen at Burnley. We're, we're 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 building up in terms of what we're prepared to do. I think in terms of uh, the wages of players, which has been you know the the the, the salaries involved has been a. Uh, a stumbling block and we're kind of catching up on, on that level and the same in transfer fees as well although the, the transfer fees, you know our, our transfer record is still sort of I think we we're up to sort of 15 16 million for the uh, for the, the most we spent on a player and um, you know we're not going to spend 30 40 million pounds on a, a player so you 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 are trying to fish in a certain pond in terms of the the, the market you can go for you know and, and even you know Championship players, you know, they're they're, they're costing, um, you know, fifteen, twelve, fifteen million pounds when we're uh, when we're buying them. You know, we we've we bought two of them. We? We've got um, Ben Gibson um, and Mate Vidra coming in on uh, that sort of level in terms of the transfer fees. Um, with Ben Gibson, it's been different. Obviously, there's been uh, injuries involved with Matt Evidra, you know obvious injuries that's been publicised. Um, with Vidra, it's not been quite as clear as we've, we've already discussed um, earlier. But yeah, the, 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 there is a certain amount of thinking to say, well, you know, we've spent the money on players, and yet we haven't got the value for that in terms of them coming on the pitch and and delivering, you know, the the, the value for that investment. You know, you you may have to go up um, a step further in terms of spending, you know, double what we've ever paid for a player to get that sort of impact and you know that going down the line that that may well happen but you get the feeling that we're going to do it in stages we're not going to just suddenly push the boat out and it's going to suddenly be right you know Burnley have spent 30 million or 40 million in a in a transfer window I can't see us doing that in January, I don't know what what
2: you think about that, Natalie. No, uh, well, I, think, I don't know. I guess it depends on what this new um, director of football is going to do, what uh, Riggs going to do when he comes in, which will which will have like. Okay. In fact, like maybe let's let's talk about this now, actually, because it feels like a, a natural time. Um, we the Clarence have appointed. Um, What's his first, his first name? Mike Rigg. I wonder what his first name is. I want to call him Stephen for some reason. Um, the, the announcement basically said that Burnley Football Club is to, delighted to announce the appointment of Mike Rigg as a technical director. Um, he's had a variety of high-profile roles within domestic and international football, and he's going to head up the process of talent identification and recruitment throughout the whole club, from the academy to the first team. Now, that to me is quite welcome news, Dave, because one of the things that I've been perhaps concerned with and a little perplexed by is this very strange relationship and the roles between Deitch and Mike Garlick and their very hands-on approach to their recruitment and it it almost felt like it was just getting too narrow and they were not maybe seeing things in a wider perspective and we all know exactly how much control Deitch has over the transfer window but to me the how that should work is that uh, you know the the manager identifies number one what area he needs strength in where obviously we know now we need creativity for example in, in that um In that side. So he would identify, say, a winger, for example, and he would identify a pool of players. And then for me, he has to then step away. And as long as he's as long as the players that the board are going for sit within that identified group of players, it then has to be down to the board or whoever they appoint independently of the manager to go and do the negotiations with the club decide what they're prepared to pay as a club and to set the wages and agree the personal terms and then just confirm to the manager when that appointment's been done. And that's how it happens in most clubs. Now, Dyche's view and his control over the recruitment process is admirable in many respects. And i am it's a very difficult balance for me because I'm very glad that he is so aware of the restriction of the club finances and he's very aware of his custodian role that he calls it and how much he wants to make sure that there is still a club here after it but I think that's gone too far Deitch is very, very old school when it comes to football and he's, he's very vocal about his disappointment with the way that wages have escalated and the agent's role and the phenomenal money that that players are going for we hear it every single week who's spent what well, we can't spend that well, fine, step away from it you know, don't let that become your role. And I think for me, the Mike Trigg coming in as a director of football is a welcome appointment because I feel like Darch needs to step away from that role. I,
3: I, I agree. I think there's um, it's been one area of the club that you know we you, you're going into a totally different realm that we've ever been in, and also in terms of casting the net wider as well. Because one of the difficulties I think we have had is that we've relied a lot more on domestic players. We have brought in, you know, one or two from uh, from from abroad, um, but I think the domestic market there's not as much value in it. So if we can get someone in who's got, you know, good links and can identify value in um, players from abroad, then that that might be uh, well, hopefully, that's going to be a big positive for the club.
2: Absolutely, um, I think moving on, the, the, the last couple of points that, that Becca I put in a, a list. I'm not gonna actually dwell on I think the fourth point was that whatever it is that's wrong with these players, whether it be tiredness, lack of desire, or lack of passion, depending on which camp you fall into. Um it's obvious that these players aren't running the same, they aren't playing with the same level of intensity, and they're nowhere near the levels they were last season. So many tweets that we were sent last last night said exactly the same thing. Um and actually I'm not gonna dwell on that because it it's a point that we've we've been talking about for weeks in the podcast now and I don't see much merit in going over that same old ground again and, and just bemoaning these players' lack of effort. We all know, or perceived lack of effort, sorry. We all know that they're not playing the same level of intensity. We don't know the reasons why. Anything that we offer is purely speculation as to what's going wrong with this club. Um, and let's just hope that this... Uh, appointment of, of Richard Trigg. Uh, sorry, Mike, I keep calling him Richard, Richard Stephen, whatever he's called, Mike Trigg. Um, in, it starts on Saturday, as Dave reliably told me in, in pre-recording. And let's just hope that it's, he gets his feet settled under the table and they get a strategy in place before this January transfer window and we can start to turn this around. I think that's all I've kind of got to talk about on the game. There is also quite a lot of tweets sent to us last night directly asking us if we would discuss on the podcast whether or not Deitch's time is up. I'm going to gloss over this very, very quickly because the answer is no. It absolutely is not. Um, we are nowhere near that stage right now that we can even be thinking about sacking Sean Dyche. I think that's a, a ridiculous. Um, well, it's not ridiculous. I don't want to be disrespectful to those fans who genuinely believe no. it because everybody's in, every paying fans entitled to their opinion. Um, but for me, we are nowhere near that stage yet, and Sean Dyche has earned the right to be given time he has earned the right to bring these players back into the fold, he has earned the right to be part of the um, January transfer window and see what players he needs to bring in and he's earned the right to try, for me to air keep us in this division and worse comes the worse, if we fall out of this division, he's earned the right to get us back into it next season, so we aren't going there on this on this podcast. Thank you very much to all of the fans who did send us that message asking us to discuss it. I don't want to be dismissive of what you've said and I, I have um, respect for your opinion, but it's just not something that I think that we're even going to push as an agenda item on the podcast. So, Dave, I don't have anything else to talk about in terms of the game last night or the, the perceived problems around the club at the moment, unless you have anything else that you want to add. No, I
3: think we've, well, we've covered the, the game off. We've been through uh, the aspects of it. I think the uh, most important thing is to put that behind us and uh, and concentrate on Saturday now.
2: Yeah, again, uh, <laughs> yeah. that was actually Becca's fifth point that she put on her email saying, the reset button is well and truly broken. We've pressed it three times and it hasn't worked. Well, Becca, we're going to press it a fourth time. We're pressing the reset button here and now producer matt if you have some kind of buzzer that you can insert into this point of the podcast please do it now okay listeners that will either have a nice little point of a buzzer going be a silence and i'm just going Oh, no, nothing's happened. So let's see what happens there. Right, let's move off the field then. And um, another point that some of our listeners got in touch with us and asked us to talk about on the podcast was some wider Premier League news. Um, This is a really controversial point that is being discussed and debated across the footballing world and indeed has already started to be campaigned against by Liverpool fans at their recent game. Um, Outgoing Premier League chairman um, Richard Scudamore is going to receive a £5 million farewell bonus and that is going to be raised by a £250,000 contribution to all the current Premier League clubs. I just it's it's supposed to be a golden handshake essentially which is in recognition of his outstanding work now my god I've got so many so many things to, to go on with this but we're going to keep it relatively brief I think my view on this is he has done a fantastic job he has molded that Premier League from what it was when it started to the phenomenal business machine that it is today whether you are pro or against modern football you can't argue with exactly how he's changed the face of modern football and what he's done for the Premier League and and, and the clubs who are in it but he's been paid very handsomely for that job he's been paid um, a salary that most of us will never ever see in our lifetimes those salaries will have included bonuses every single year so the idea that he retires from that job and then gets another five million pound bonus such a, a grotesque level um, is absolutely beyond me and this is at a time in the UK where we're still in a period of austerity, albeit the government are trying to pull us out of it. And there are more and more, in fact, record numbers of people across the country heavily reliant on food banks just to survive. And grassroots and lower league football is at its most difficult phase it's ever been to. So to give one man who's already been paid, the money he's been paid, a £5 million bonus and then expect the clubs to pay for it as well is just atrocious Dave I'm kind of disappointed that Burnley wasn't just rolled over and said yes we'll pay it and we aren't one of the clubs that decided to we just didn't make a stand.
3: Um yeah it, it was an odd one obviously a lot came out about it in the media and I think I think in the end they kind of rolled back on it it kind of went from uh, a suggestion and uh, you know this may be a a mischievous suggestion to try and get it out of the media I don't know but the the last i heard it, the suggestion was that it wasn't going to be um an extra contribution that each of the Premier League clubs would have to make but it was going to come from some sort of central pot. In some ways that's irrelevant because the guy looks like he's going to get what he was originally going to get um, but they've kind of done it in a different way and it perhaps isn't you know quite as um, uh, confrontational and controversial um, as it might otherwise have been but you know, at the end of the day, you've you've you you've hit the nail on the head. You know he's, he's been paid for the job. You know he's got significant bonuses. You know it, it, it's documented out there. There's a couple of the guys on um, uh, on on Twitter uh, who who post the information out in terms of the, the, the finances of, of of clubs and football in general. Um, like Kieran Maguire is one of them, and another one, uh, Swiss Ramble as well, who posts a lot of the uh, financial stuff out there. And you know the quantifies the information in terms of what um, Richard Scudamore has been paid for doing you know a, a very good job you know the the premier league's far and away uh, far away ahead in terms of the revenue that it generates compared to comparable leagues um of other uh, countries in Europe so for that he's done a fantastic job and I can understand to some extent that there is uh you know a, a worry that if he leaves and yeah, you know, the the there's no sort of structure in place that he could just go and he could, you know, give his expertise to La Liga or at some other uh, league in Europe, and uh, and do a very similar job for them. So the, there's there's kind of a, a background understanding of that. I think the the difficulty is is this sort of uh, the the way it was presented originally, saying well, you know, all the other all the 20 Premier League clubs are going to have to stump up um, a, a massive amount of money, two hundred and fifty thousand pounds each to get this £5 million bonus for him. And I think in the end what's happened is he's, he's actually been um, kept on in some sort of um, consultation capacity. So the, the, the payment's now been spread over three years than what it was going to be originally, and he's doing some sort of um, consultancy, which will be a little bit like a um, a, a, you know, a golden handcuffs deal. I guess that's the way it's, um, it's termed. Which is kind of the best of both worlds. I, I, I think the, the the amounts of money involved are, are, are staggering when you bear in mind it's on top of um, a salary I was already getting and significant bonuses. a Little part of me thinks, yeah, that there's kind of an understanding that if they don't do something, then you know the, the Premier League and the Premier League clubs might lose out, and it might, you know, the the way the TV deals are going, five million is. A staggering amount of money, but in percentage terms, it's a relatively small amount compared to what uh, you know TV deals are. You know they, these things tend to be negotiated over three seasons, so you know you're talking billions and billions of pounds. So um, it, it's a, it's a difficult one, and I, I think it's been handled quite badly. Certainly in in, in the way it came out um, in the media in the first place, and uh, you know the, the Premier League really need to be better better on its PR. I think. And, and and try and you know put fans back on side because you know fans are seeing through this and thinking well you know it's 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 just not right it's uh, it's it's a staggering amount of money and that's the headline figure um, and that's what people see.
2: Well, that was that was an impressive summary, Dave. I, I genuinely feel like. No matter what I've got in the world to wish about, you'll make me feel better. Have you ever thought about going into politics? I think you'd make it a fantastic politician. That was so that was a better spin than that write-up that was on the Burnley website last night about last night's game. And that was a pretty that good a spin, spin, to be fair. On, um yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, but you make some really good points there, Dave. And I think I think our view at None and Ever is essentially, yes, we do understand the reasons why, and I think Dave's just just highlighted them really well and and, you know this is the modern world that we're working but we just can't give it our blessing just because of the the ludicrous sums involved and just what that money could do for where it's desperately needed in the rest of the country so um we may understand some of the reasons for it but we do not in any way condone this and that is our position um before we move on to to preview the next game where Burnley go away to Crystal Palace Uh, we have a little bit of news for those of you who haven't yet noticed this time next week well actually next week the podcast is going to be out a couple of days later but we are going to have some live updates for you directly from the Tower of London we are absolutely delighted to announce that we have been shortlisted by the Football Supporters Federation in their annual awards for club podcast of the year we are alongside there's, there's five shortlisted there is the Watford podcast from the Rookery End there is this Manchester City podcast the Blue Moon there's us there's the Fulham podcast the Fulhamish, and there is the Wolves podcast and they are going to oh, I'm so sorry Wolves I can't remember and I can't remember off the top of my head what it's called I think it's just called the Wolves or something it, it, it's the Wolves podcast so Burnley Wolves City Watford and Fulham have all been shortlisted and uh, so Robbie and I are heading down to London on next Monday which is when we normally record the podcast we're having to get dressed up listeners it's going to be a glitzy affair with with all sorts of glamour and celebrities there and me and Robbie are going to be representing the None and Never podcast in the corner um, at a, a gala dinner with a bar and an awards ceremony and to see if, if we've won um, um, we don't have um, massive expectations just because we know some of the guys here in our category. We do work with them and there's some fantastic podcasts out there, but we're going to do our best. And if we win, that would be fantastic. And if we don't, it's absolutely fantastic exposure for the club. Actually, out of all of the categories at the awards next week, the only thing Burnley related is the None and Ever podcast. The, the club hasn't been nominated both on the playing side or the media side or in any other category. So uh, we need to just make sure we are there. Uh, So we will report from the night, um, weird shoes permitting that I'm going to have to wear. I'm going to have to wear one of them dress things, listeners, with the heels. And so providing I don't fall over and make an idiot of myself, which I'm sure Robbie will probably live tweet anyway. (laughs) We will let you know next week how we do. So please wish us luck. And um, we will be recording on Tuesday instead. Um, So the podcast will be out probably Wednesday next week rather than Thursday. Um, So there you go. That's exciting news. But let's not dwell on that, listeners. Let's have a look at Clarets, because we want to get back into the happy, cozy, warm, fuzzy feeling of Burnley winning, especially away from home. And indeed, the next Premier League game next Saturday is Crystal Palace. And Dave, our statistician, as well as preparing to host and be co-hosting on the panel this week, has done his regular slot on our head-to-head stats. So Dave Roberts, over to you.
3: Yeah, well, looking back at the uh, previous games against Crystal Palace, we haven't actually played that many games um, against them. I think they, they were, didn't come into being until 1905 um, and spent a lot of time in the lower leagues when Burnley were um, in the top division for a lot of those seasons. So we haven't played them as much as quite a few of the other teams we've played this season. Um, the first game we did play against was, was in the FA Cup back in 1909 our first match at um well it wasn't at sellers park so they didn't move there till 1924 um but it was actually at the old crystal palace ground which um another ground that burnley had a famous victory at because that's where the 1914 fa cup final was played that burnley beat liverpool 1-0 um and we actually drew that game 0-0 at crystal palace against crystal palace Um, But that's probably more notable for the replay that Burnley won 9-0, which was a a record victory for, I was going to say for the Clarets, but we hadn't turned to Claret by 1909. So we were still the Greens or Whites or whatever we were playing in at the time. So uh, that was quite notable. Um, We've actually had 22 matches in total um, and we've had five away victories. And when we look back at some of the other teams we've played this season, that's quite a decent return to get five wins out of uh, 22 matches. Um, And the first twice we played them in the, well, first division as it was, and we won both those matches. So that's February 1970, we won 2-1. We got a a lachlan own goal, um, Crystal Palace player, and also um, Steve Kindon scored for Burnley to make it 2-1. And then a year later in 1971, Um, Burnley had a 2-0 win. Uh, By then, Jimmy Adamson had taken over from Harry Potts, um, and Ralph Coates and Martin Dobson were the Burnley goalscorers that day. Um, Going back through other notable games, um, more notable from a Crystal Palace perspective was 1979. Um, Crystal Palace needed to win in order to win the second division. Um, They had a record crowd of over 51,000 on at Selhurst Park, Um, in May 1979 and the game was 0-0 with about 15 minutes to go um, and Crystal Palace, they would have still got promoted I think but they would have finished third in the division, that was well before the playoffs um, had started but they scored a couple of late goals and beat Burnley 2-0, were a famous victory for them Um, and they got promoted as champions that season so that's uh, one for the Crystal Palace fans to be interested in. Um, and then going forward a little bit to ones that um, Burnley fans will perhaps be more likely to remember, we had a couple of wins under Stan Turnant uh, in September 2000. Graham Branch scored the only goal for a, a 1-0 win for Burnley. And then, coincidentally, um, we're playing on this Saturday, which is the 1st of December. And it was the 1st of December 2001. Uh, Burnley were at Crystal Palace for... Um, a match in the, whatever we called it then, the Championship equivalent. Um, And Ian Moore scored twice, scored two. I think he'd he'd gone on a really barren run. He hadn't scored for about 13 or 14 games. Um, He scored two goals and Burnley won 2-1. That's where the good news ends, because after that, we've played uh, 12 matches, League and Cup, um, at Crystal Palace. And our only win in those 12 matches was... um, Two seasons ago, you will maybe remember Natalie that we um, had a, a rather barren run uh, away games in the 2016-17 season, and on the Saturday evening we were picked for the uh, televised match, um, and we were you know desperate for a, for a win to you know try and get us away and try and uh, consolidate our really good home form that season. Um, Burnley managed a 2-0 victory that day, um, Ashley Barnes and Andre Gray were the goal scorers for a, a, a relief really for Burnley fans to get that 2-0 win at Crystal Palace um, and obviously Burnley went on to, to survive that season and then last season, we it's actually early this year, we played them in January, uh, I think Bakary Sacco scored the only goal for Crystal Palace to win 1-0, but, yeah, last 12 games, Burnley have only won the once, and that was the uh, the one two seasons ago when uh, Ashley Barnes and Andre Gray scored.
2: There's quite some interesting stats in that, actually. I think, I've got to say, when you, when you first looked at that at the beginning, I'd, I'd very much take um, 9-0, when, now, that'd be nice. Um, that was at home. Yeah. Oh well. Well, we'll just do nine <laughs> nil away. That would be nice. Um. It's quite interesting actually when you look at these these results. Interesting to see that in the three games that Dyche has managed this Burnley side against Palace, we've only conceded one goal. Um, yeah. You know. I mean. I, I, again, I. I I take that this is to take either a clean sheet or just one goal but you know Dyche's record is 1-1 one, one, draw, one and lost one so I think it's time for Dyche to get a, obviously a second win that would be nice we don't want to have a second draw we don't have a second loss we want that to be two greens on Dave's spreadsheet when we come to do the return fixture at the end of the season um so looking away from the stats Dave what's uh, what's your I guess gut feeling about Saturday I'm I'm feeling like this is going to be the game that we're turning around. I feel like we're going to win. Am I just being ridiculous?
3: No, I think we 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 well we 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 need to start winning. We need to get some points on the boards. We do have some really tough games coming up. When you look at the fixtures, then uh, this game coming up and the Brighton game, which is at home, are probably the two you look at and think, well, they're the ones we're more likely to get points out of. I mean, there's we know there's no easy games um, in the Premier League, but they're the two that you would think. Um, would be easier to get points out of. Um, yeah, we, We've perhaps got to draw on that spirit we got from two seasons ago. We went into the game, we hadn't won an away match all season. Um, we went out there and uh, in front of the cameras, uh, got that fantastic um, victory with Ashley Barnes and uh, Andre Gray came on a sub, didn't he, I think, and uh, smashed the ball in for that second goal. And uh, that was a, a real relief uh, for Burnley fans. So if we get the same result again on Saturday, we'll be uh, we'll be delighted.
2: And what would you do, sort of player wise? I mean, I'm going to assume that that JBG is going to be back; that he's over his illness.
3: Hopefully, yeah. I mean, that that I think we did miss him a little bit on uh, uh, on Monday night.
0: Oh yeah, massively. Um, and I
3: think I think you know Robbie Brady is still coming back from uh, from from an injury. Um, I think it might just give us a bit more balance if um, if if JBG is back and available on uh, on Saturday. But we we've, we've got to be maybe a little bit less reticent we need to be uh passing the ball around a little bit better a little bit more confidence i think we were, you know maybe trying to take two or three more touches than we need to and the, you know that that kind of you know it, it echoed back on it maybe it'll help being away actually i mean that that, that perhaps did it um reflect a little bit on the uh, the crowd maybe the little bit of uh, of frustration for, for Burnley's build-up play that wasn't quite as fluid um, as maybe would have liked it to have been so I think from uh, you know, perhaps you can go out with a little bit more confidence when you're playing away from home but we know you know Crystal Palace have got their uh, threats there uh, um, you know you, you look at how they started last season and how they finished it you know they, they finished 11th in the division so if you take that first part of the season out of it you know they were you know they probably got more points than uh, than than the Burnley got if you if you took took that out of the uh, the equation, um. And you know they've they've had a reasonable start this season as well. So it's not an easy prospect. We know that, but you know we've got to start winning somewhere. So you know what better uh, place to start than Saturday?
2: Absolutely, and what a way to end the podcast! What better way to start winning than on Saturday? So there you go. Burnley fans, fellow listeners, that concludes this week's podcast. Um, A couple of things for you to look out for in the next couple of weeks. Uh, we're going to be joined next week by uh, club commentator Phil Bird, who has written his first book, which we're all very excited about. He's going to be our guest next week on the podcast, and he's going to give us his reaction to the Palace game, a few thoughts on what's happening in the club this season generally, and he's going to tell us all about the process of writing his book, what that means to him, and how you guys can get yourselves hold of a copy. We're going to be running a competition to win one of Phil Bird's books. Um, hopefully this side of Christmas as well, if we can make it work we're going to be publishing our one-off special with none other than the Paddy and Predator Andy Payton which we're incredibly excited to, to have him on the show. Again, he's going to be looking at his time um, at the Clarets and what he's been doing recently and also give his reaction to the current Claret setup and how well we seem to be doing at the moment as a club. Um, but that's all we have time for this week my thanks as ever go to Robbie for his very small contribution outside the ground, and then for skiving this evening. I think he's, I think he's at the City game doing work, and he's just sent me an Instagram post where he's sat at a table with a lot of glasses of wine and his feet up. So. We, we, we have some suspicions that none and ever that Robbie might be uh, on a jolly this afternoon. But yeah, thanks anyway, Robbie. Um, thanks to producer Matt for putting the show together once we finish recording it and producing what it is that you're listening to right now. Um, and thanks as ever to my co-host and uh, resident statistician Dave Roberts. My final thanks as ever are reserved for you, the listener, for downloading this podcast and for listening to us. Your support is very much appreciated and we just would not be here without you we will be here next week on tuesday as the 2018 football supporters federation club podcast of the year with a win under our belts away at crystal palace until next time